I have an exciting announcement. Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast will be featured on the lineup of Podpalooza, a virtual festival to raise money for COVID relief. Think of it as Live Aid, but for podcast. You buy a ticket, and that gives you access to a special Podpalooza podcast where over 100 incredible podcasters will be showcasing their work. You'll get a festival schedule, and new episodes will drop over the course of the weekend. Listen as they come out or save the content for later. The money all goes to Give Directly, a nonprofit providing economic relief to the families that have been hit the hardest by the pandemic. We've been thinking about how we can make a positive impact in the light of the current crisis and are thrilled to have the chance to do something we love while contributing to this important cause. The festival goes live this weekend on April 25th. I'll be featuring my podcast, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, with Bill Simmons, and there's only one way to tune in. Get a ticket. Go to podpalooza.org or plza.org for short. That's plza.org. Tickets are pay what you can, so contribute to the effort, hear from us, and maybe even discover some new favorite podcasts along the way. Mahalo. Aloha, you are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Network, and I'm with John Hollinger, senior writer for The Athletic and co-host of Hollinger and Duncan on the Locked On Network. We are back doing yet another redraft, this time of the 2007 NBA Draft. Again, if you're new to the pod, as a reminder, we're going to do it in the form of a mock draft. Each of us will rotate making picks based on hindsight what should have happened on draft night. We're going to draft the entire lottery. I'm really excited, John, to do this draft with you because this draft was a was a big deal at the time. Yes. Yes. That probably the most excitement about a draft, uh, probably up until maybe comparable to the um, the draft two years ago with Aiton and Luca. Um, but that that level of excitement. Uh, possibly even more. I mean, people were people who don't normally watch college games were watching college games that year. Let's put it that way. You had an incredible Florida team that had multiple draft prospects uh, on that team. You had Greg Oden uh, and Ohio State that were going to have two of the top four picks in the draft on that team as well. This was the year Kevin Durant was setting Texas on fire and was one of the funnest college basketball players that that at least that I had ever seen. There was just a lot of names and a lot of excitement around this draft, and it didn't turn out the way that people thought it was going to turn out, which is true with most drafts, but yet there was a lot of talent in this draft. And so, John, I'm going to give you the first pick in the draft. We know that the Blazers were on the clock, and maybe it's worth going over the draft one more time so you can get a taste of what actually happened on draft night. So the first pick in the draft was the Blazers. They took Greg Oden, number one, out of Ohio State. The Sonics, the Seattle Supersonics, were on the board uh, with the second pick in the draft. They took Kevin Durant out of Texas. The Hawks had the third pick in the draft. They took Al Horford out of Florida. Mike Conley, teammate of Greg Oden, went fourth to the Memphis Grizzlies. Jeff Green went fifth uh, in a pick that was traded 
to the Sonics. The Boston Celtics had that pick, but traded it to Seattle in what was going to be a fairly big deal for them. They got Ray Allen out of that deal, and that was the start of the big And they won the championship that year. Yeah, yeah. Yi Jianlian (laughs) out of China. The man who dominated chairs and workouts went sixth to the Milwaukee Bucks. Corey Brewer, teammate of Al Horford, went seven to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Brandon Wright went eight to the Charlotte Bobcats, then was traded to the Golden State Warriors. Joachim Noah, the third Florida player, drafted three players in the top nine. That's pretty incredible. Goes ninth to the Chicago Bulls. Spencer Haas, a freshman out of Washington, goes 10th to Sacramento Kings. A.C. Law goes 11th uh, to the Atlanta Hawks. Thaddeus Young, freshman out of Georgia Tech, goes 12th to the Philadelphia 76ers. Julian Wright, Kansas superstar. <laughs> Number 13, New Orleans Hornets. I love Julian Wright. Yeah, you got to stay away from those Kansas guys, Chad. <laughs> and then 14th to the Los Angeles Clippers was Al Thornton, a senior out of Florida State. So that's how it went on draft night. I don't think that's at all what our redraft is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Blazers are on the clock. You have the number one pick. Do you retake Greg Oden? Uh, so given that he played 105 career games, I think I think we're going to go away from that. I, I will say, I mean, it's easy for people to say in hindsight they should have taken Durant here. The... I would say there was an overwhelming consensus that Odin was the top prospect and the mentality at the time, which is different than now, is that passing on a generational big was a mistake you could not make. And I think now people just see it differently. They value perimeter players more and centers are almost like this other, this other category. Uh, and and it's, it just wasn't like that 15 years ago. So it's an important thing to remember. Um, obviously, I will be taking Kevin Durant number one here. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what else to say. He gets to stay in the Pacific Northwest. That's what I get to say because he's picked by Portland. So there you have it. Why was Odin? You talked about generational big. The the thinking at the time that you don't pass on a big man when you have the chance at the number one pick. But there were red flags about Odin. Yeah, there was I mean, questions some, about injuries. There were there were flags there. That yeah. So I think the medical situation is one where we we as as on the outside we don't get a chance to look under the hood. Clearly, there were there were flags raised if you talked if you talked to teams, and it's just a question of how how serious were those were those red flags uh, because that that was that was the one issue that I think could have swung things in. Durant's favor because Odin, when he did play, was a very good player. He just wasn't available to play very much. Yeah, if you look at win shares per forty-eight minutes, Greg Odin is the second or third best player in this draft. Uh, when you just look at at what he did in the in the short amount of time when he was healthy and on the court, and some of that was getting back into shape as well. And so it probably would have even been better than that if he was just healthy. It's really interesting. Kevin Pritchard has a lot of pressure. I think the other interesting thing was at, at the time, a player like Durant was actually more of a need for the Blazers uh, at the time. I think there was also some push there for Durant uh, on that end. And, you know, one of the most interesting things about Odin was 
Kevin Pritchard, who was the general manager at the time, really got very defensive about Odin and his medicals and how much uh, work they did into this, how many doctors they brought into the process, how carefully they looked at him over and over again. And when they drafted him, they were highly confident that medicals weren't an issue. There was a lot of other general managers and, and teams out there that were raising red flags, but the Blazers were insistent that they had gone through Odin with a fine-tooth comb, everything checked out fine, and that it was really a freak injury. It's really interesting in hindsight because, I mean, you can you could do all the legwork, but you, your analysis has to be good, too. Is <laughs> the other part of it, right? Like, like whatever they did, whatever analysis they did, clearly it didn't pan out that way, right? Right. Though it's also possible that you can have a clean bill of health and just get hurt, uh, right? You know, doctors can't predict. Yeah, although that, I mean, that you might just get hurt on something that has nothing to do with the other injuries that he had because he had an injury throughout the season, but I believe it was a that's wrist. That's definitely possible, but I mean, Odin with like. You know, he needed the surprise microfracture. He got a, a serious uh, injury on a non-contact play. Like, there, I, I, I think his injury proneness was pretty much baked in. So the Blazers just, in your opinion, they they probably just they they did the analysis. They just got it wrong on him. That that would be that would be my conclusion. Yes. Wow. Well, Durant turns out to be incredible. Where does he rank in your mind in the past 20 years as best players to come out of the draft in, let's say, the last 20 years? Wow. In the last 20 years, I mean, who who clearly outranks him? I mean, certainly LeBron James, right? I think you have an argument that Giannis does. Uh, you know, he'd probably be in that next tier with, like, James Harden, right? This was, by the way, the first of three MVPs in a row that Sam Presti drafted, which is an accomplishment that I think nobody will ever match. That's an incredible. Yeah, after after LeBron James, because we're talking about anybody that was drafted, if we say the last 20 years, anybody that was drafted from 2000 on. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that there's a player that I take ahead of Kevin Durant, not even Giannis. And I, and I love Giannis, and I, I could end up being really wrong on that. I, I'm just not sure from the all-around game that, that Kevin Durant brings to the table that there's a player that I would take take ahead of him. What about Curry? Uh, if, if there was that pool, yeah. I mean, there's there's you know there's Steph Curry, there's there's James Harden, uh, there's Giannis. I mean, there's definitely other other players there. I, I'm I'm a Kevin Durant guy. Well, they passed on a maybe, <laughs> if nothing else, a top two, three, four player in the last twenty years. Yeah. Uh, to take Greg Oden, though again, in defense of at least the game of Greg Oden. The talent was clearly there. Yes. Uh, of what, what he was going to be at the next level. It, it showed it at Ohio State, obviously showed it in, in high school. And in the limited minutes that he got in the NBA, uh, he definitely looked like he had the potential to be a franchise center. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, the Sonics are on the board at number two. Their whole franchise gets turned around really by drafting Durant and then they're going to get Russell Westbrook and then they're ultimately going to get James Harden though James Harden ends up getting really traded before he becomes the James Harden that we know yeah. uh, today things look really different in Seattle with Kevin Durant not there clearly 
Because the next best guy to me on the on this board was Al Horford uh, out of Florida. And that's that's who I'm going to select number two for the Sonics. Horford, a player that I just absolutely loved in college because of his versatility. On one hand, he had all of the, the size, strength, length of a traditional power forward slash center in the NBA, but he could handle the ball. He could shoot the ball. He really was a modern NBA big really before we got into the era of modern NBA bigs. And I think that, again, injuries have have played somewhat of a role in his career a little bit, but I think he's just been a versatile, fantastic player that if he had landed on an elite basketball team, I think would be even more highly regarded than, than, than he's been throughout his career. Yeah, he ended up on a lot of good teams, but not on championship caliber teams. He could have been that guy who was the third best player on a championship team and ends up in the Hall of Fame because of it, right? He could have been like one of those guys, uh, like a, a Jamal Wilkes, but a better version and a big guy. Um, and uh, did, didn't quite happen that way, but he still had a tremendous career, made multiple all-star teams, uh, you know, just been – just been a really solid, good player and a really solid, good uh, person to have on your team and in your locker room and had a tremendous career. Uh, and, and as tremendous as Al Horford is, I mean, this is, you know, this is the luck of the draft, right? If you yeah. get Kevin Durant and you get a superstar, everything changes in your franchise. Al Horford, a really, really good basketball player, can't really change much for a franchise though without a lot of other pieces coming yeah, in I mean, and, so and making a difference when they when the hawks got him they turned the corner that year and they became pretty good but that was all they became you know right. those joe johnson josh smith teams like al horford took them from mediocrity to okay now we're a legit playoff team and teams actually have some fear when they play us but they, they were never going to get to that top level just with him Okay, it's the third pick of the draft. That's the Hawks. I can't believe you're doing this to me. Do you realize you're making me choose between my two children here? I absolutely know that right now, I hope Mark Gasol and Mike Conley are listening right now, John <laughs> Hollinger has to choose between. He was so hoping I was going to take Gasol too. Would you have taken Gasol too? Uh, yeah, I, I would have. Yeah, I would have taken I, and I know, I know. I think I know who you're going to take here. Um, so I'm going to take Mark and I'm going to take Mark because his early career ramped up a little more quickly than Mike's did. So when you look at the whole body of work, his is probably a little stronger. Um, so his, his 2015 season was probably the best individual season anyone ever had, uh, in Memphis when he made first team all NBA. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go with Mark because of that. I can't believe you made me do this. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously he was, he was the best pick made in this draft. The Lakers took him with a 48th pick because everyone was concerned about his weight. And then he went and won the MVP in, in the Spanish league and, uh, was traded to Memphis for his brother Pow in a famous trade that, uh, ended up, uh, dictating another championship. And what was really famous about that trade in part was that people complained that the Lakers got away with highway robbery. 
Yes. In, in getting POW from Mark, it was unfair. This was an uneven trade. People were calling for investigations on, right. on this Pop Popovich on this type wanted of trade to form like a committee, like the one in you know, like in fantasy leagues that disapproves trades. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's how lopsided that trade seemed at the time, because that perception of Mark Gasol was was still there. That this was the chubby little brother to Pau Gasol that was in part getting drafted more based off of who he was related to than than his than his basketball talent though that was clear as you pointed out in the Spanish league that he could play i don't think anybody obviously predicted that he would be as good as his brother i'm i'm going to put you on the spot here was mark gasol better than his brother wow you could argue his best season or two might have been better than pau's um I mean, did Pau ever make first team All NBA? Um, Pau, I think, had so. the had a longer duration as an All Star caliber player. Pau's overall body work over his career is better. Um, Mark's peak might have been just as good. And very different players. I mean, obviously, Mark won Defensive Player of the Year, which I don't believe Pau was ever a contender for. But Mark also didn't quite have Pau's ability to run the floor and uh, you know some of his. Uh, grace and and uh, you know skill around the basket. I think that's the right pick for the Hawks. Fourth pick goes to the Grizzlies. They selected Mike Conley. I think they would reselect Mike Conley again. Is he one of the most underrated players his career in yeah. the NBA because of where he played and how those Grizzly teams were always good but never quite turned the corner the way that he would have gotten more notoriety. Not just more notoriety, more shots. I mean, it was a team where the paint was always so crowded that it was tough for him to uh, take advantage of his speed as much as he could. So I think that that was the other part that always worked against him. Uh, best player in NBA history, never to make an all-star game. Um, should have been selected as an injury replacement in 2015. I'm still bitter about that. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, and a tremendous career and, and one that gets, I think, overlooked a little because because of the market we were in and because it was in the West. Because, I mean, if we had played in the East, right, we would have been in the conference finals a lot of years and, like, it would have been, he would have made all-star teams. It would have gotten a lot more. Conley Gasol would have been multiple, multiple all-stars yeah, in, the, yeah. in the East. So would have been more notoriety there, but. Unfortunately, you know, my two big aims when I came to the Grizzlies were to move us to the East and to abolish the three-point line, and I couldn't do either. You were there when ultimately these guys who became really franchise pillars for your organization, yeah. you ultimately traded traded them to start, a, to start a rebuilding process in Memphis. How hard was that emotionally to let go of two guys that had done so much for you and and had been really loyal and pillars of, of that franchise well, to, was, to let them both go. And it, and it was hard because they, they wanted to do it together and in Memphis if they could, you know, and it was really only when it, when it was pretty hopeless that it was like, a, okay, okay, you can trade us now. You know what I mean? Like, um, and it's funny because I think that in, in, retrospect like the obvious time to blow up the team would have been after the 16-17 season we'd had a pretty decent year we had made the playoffs but like 
we were we were coming to the end of the line like you could see it on the birth certificates or our cap situation or everyone looked at it like this was as good as it was going to get and it was only going to get worse from here and i think just turning around that ocean liner was so hard because there's such an emotional investment you build up um as an organization and uh you know not from the owners down to the business people and the coaches and and whatnot and uh so i think that's why those those next two years there was this sort of trying to push the rock up the hill and see if you know see if we could still build a winning team around mike and mark and it just it just wasn't going to happen well the good news for mark is that he gets traded to the toronto raptors and yep. wins an nba championship and and the good news before the season fell apart because of COVID nineteen is that Mike gets traded to the Utah Jazz, and the Jazz were real contenders, I thought this year. And so one thing I think that the Grizzlies did them right was they put both of these players in a chance at the end of their careers to to be on really really successful teams. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean we're happy we we're able to do that for them, and you know, put them in a put them in a position to hopefully get some, you know, get some career accolades and help, you know, help them, help them get what they, what they were looking for. But, you know, it's, you go back to those Memphis teams and the era we're in, in the NBA. And I think the thing that people overlook was that not just, we had four really good players. When you look at Mike and Mark and Zach Randolph and Tony Allen, but that all four of them wanted to be where they were. And, and I think that's the part that's really rare, especially in a market like Memphis, that, that you're just not going to see much. Um, Is this the smallest market in the NBA, Memphis? It's right down there. Um, I, I think it's technically not the smallest. I think Oak City might be smaller. Um, I think by some measures, New Orleans, maybe, if you don't include Baton Rouge. I'm not sure. It depends, you know. Are we talking TV market size or, you know, there's all different ways they measure. But no, no matter how you slice it, I mean, it's definitely in the bottom five. Okay, well, the fifth pick, the Celtics have this pick. Mm-hmm. They end up trading it to Seattle for Ray Allen. Yeah, That was a good move. The Celtics are still on the board here. I think almost in any scenario, whoever's left, you trade them for Ray Allen. Do you agree Absolutely. with that? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. no matter who's left on this board, even in hindsight, you trade them for Ray Allen. So what I mean, what the Boston people told me after the fact was they knew they were getting Garnett. And so they, they that's why they went ahead and did this. So let's say they trade it to Seattle. So we'll put Seattle on the on the clock yeah. here. They got Al Horford. They're on the clock again at five. Who did they take? Uh, I will take another Grizzlies legend here. Uh, Joakim Noah. I think you're going to have to explain to some of our listeners why that's a Grizzlies legend, but go ahead. Uh, pair him with Horford, just like uh, um, just like Florida did, because you took uh, Horford at two for Seattle, so now correct, yeah. Seattle gets uh, Joakim Noah at five. So uh, Joakim Noah was on our team uh, last season, actually, as a, as the backup five, and he was tremendous, uh, tremendous fun to be around, tremendous practice competitor, just raised the level in the gym every single day. Just one of those guys you want in your locker room. Uh, so, and obviously you had that impact on the Bulls when they were at their best too. Uh, you go back and look at this draft. I mean, he was kind of stolen at nine, right? If you look at the career he's had compared to the four guys who were taken in front of him, 
he was such a funky player that I think scouts just had a hard time totally getting their arms around Noah and what he was in the NBA. Horford, it was pretty clear to project. Actually, you know, again, another one of his teammates, Corey Brewer, it was fairly clear how you would project him. I remember at the time, one of the big challenges for scouts was, you know, Noah was unique. I think he was unique in the NBA in many ways of of, of what he did and, and what he delivered to a team. I think that there was concerns about whether he was going to be tough, concerns about whether basketball was his ultimate passion. I mean, there's a number of little things that I think worked into the narrative about Noah that caused him to slide Absolutely. just a little bit. His career, if he doesn't run into injuries the way that he does and and really shortens his career, unfortunately, does he end up going higher than Conley? Maybe uh, higher than Marcus Gasol? I, I can't. Uh, I have a hard time getting there. I mean, he had that one really good year in Chicago, and he kind of got – like he got trumped up a little too much. Almost. He, like, he was like fourth in the MVP voting or something, which you look back and it was like, okay, that was – we got a little carried away there, right? A little irrational exuberance yeah. there. Yeah. So – I, I think I think he could push for those, you know, three four spots, but I, I don't nah, I don't know if he quite get quite gets there. Okay, we'll be back with pick six through ten on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. For an early morning breakfast burrito, to a pepperoni pizza while you watch the game, sometimes you just need what you need delivered fast, and that's where Postmates comes in. If you're like me, you'll probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of right to my door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier with grocery delivery and whatever I can think of delivery too. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store. No more late night fast food runs. I don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within an hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. And we're back with John Hollinger, redrafting the 2007 NBA Draft. John just selected Joachim Noah to go fifth to the Celtics slash Sonics. The Celtics traded that pick to the Sonics. I'm on the board. It's the Milwaukee Bucks. They took Yi, Yan Lin. Yeah. Didn't work out for them. No, did not. Didn't work out for him, them at all. Got to see him work out. And in fact, I think the infamous... Workout against a a chair video is mine. Uh, when I was when I was at UCLA, 
as he was prepping for the draft. And so I, wow. I'm, I'm guilty for wooing all of those teams to fall in love with him as he dominated a chair uh, <laughs> on a basketball court at UCLA. There's a drop-off here for sure, in my opinion, now in the draft after, after those five guys are We're, we're done with the All-Stars, certainly. Right, but there's there's a lot of talent here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna select a guy that I a, another guy that I think has been pretty underrated his entire career. Played for Philadelphia and then Indiana. Yep. Thaddeus Young, yeah, out, out of Georgia Tech. Yep, absolutely. And and he's an interesting wing guy because he never really became that elite three point shooter that that you wanted him to be, but. He brought so many other things to the table, the athleticism, the energy. He was a glueish type of guy, a third or fourth best guy on your team type of player that really has produced and had a terrific, a terrific NBA career. In fact, I believe he's played more games. He has more games than any player in this draft. By by a by a good sum, actually, yeah, yeah, about yeah. sixty five games, sixty five game lead on Jeff Green, on Jeff Green, yeah. and then when you look at the minutes, he he's got about three thousand. Only Kevin Durant really has has played more minutes than him. What do you think of Young? Was this your pick as well? At, at oh six? yeah, has to be. Yeah, I th- I think he's a he's a tier of one. You know, you talk about the draft and tiers sometimes. I think there's a, a one player tier right here. Uh, just in, you know, it was a good quality starter for a big, pretty big chunk of his career. Uh, even though he's a little between three and four, the game kind of moved in such a way that he was a permanent four in the, in the tail end was, I mean, was really good. Even, you know, even with Indiana last year, he was really good. He, he dropped off a little in Chicago this year, but it's his 13th season. I mean, he's, he's carved out a really nice career, especially in this era for a guy who's a pretty shaky shooter. He's done pretty well for himself. He got a lot of criticism. He slipped to 12th in the draft in part because people just didn't feel he was ready. They thought after one year at Georgia Tech, he was one of these guys that jumped the gun, jumped into the draft too early, needed more development time, was getting hammered a little bit on his decision making and slid a little bit in the draft because of that. But he was he as a prep, uh, he was super highly regarded and he really proved everybody wrong. I don't think an extra year or two at Georgia Tech was going to have a big impact on on his career one way or the other. He got minutes right away. He developed in the NBA and became what he was, which wasn't really a whole lot different than what he was at Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah. Okay, seventh pick in the draft. Seventh pick. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves. Minnesota Timberwolves. They took Corey Brewer. They took Corey Brewer, which at the time I think everybody thought was a really, really good pick. A guy that was going to be a 3 and D type stopper in the NBA. Yeah, I was a little skeptical on this pick because of the three part. Um, and, you know, like Brewer, I mean, he played in the league 12 years, but he was never really a, a starting caliber player. Um, I'm going to go a little different here. Uh, go for a guy who put together a pretty good career and is still playing and is a really positive locker room guy, guy teams love to have around. Uh, I'm going to go with Jared Dudley right here. It actually makes a lot of sense. It also shows the drop off in this draft. And, yeah. And who, yeah. After, who, who after else that you were young, able yeah, to we pick go, from. We go another level way down here, but go ahead. I, I like Dudley at a, at a Boston college, you know, Dudley also a guy that uh, we talk about just, guys that people fall in love with because of their personalities 
and uh, their their ability to work with the media. The media has always loved working with Jared Dudley. His teammates have loved him as well. Just the consummate role player on a team that because of because of who he was and the chemistry, solid career. Really good player. It was a really it was a good pick by Charlotte with, at twenty two, and then they gave him to Phoenix the next year. You're gonna hear the word solid a lot. The Bobcats. Was there ever a worse name for a team, at least in the modern era, for the NBA than the Bobcats? Man, I mean, Thunder has to be the only rival, right? Yeah, but at least even the Thunder. It's, yeah, it's a place that gets Thunder, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Right, I mean, you talk a little bit about narcissism with owners, but... This guy got his name worked into the name of the team. Yeah. And it was quickly <laughs> wiped away. Terrible name. Deserved to die. It did. Yes. Eighth pick in the draft. Let's just call them the Hornets. I'm going with Carl Landry. Oh, okay. Carl Landry out of Purdue. This was a tough choice for me because I think there was another player... Uh, you know, Jeff Green is a guy that comes to mind who has had a longer career, mm-hmm. played a lot more minutes. Mm-hmm. But if you look at a guy that had impact in his minutes that that he played, and Green plays about double that. Yeah, Landry was a very, very uh, solid to good power forward in the league for the years that that he was able to stay healthy and stay on the court. And while I I definitely could have selected green here he's had a longer nba career i think that the years that landry was playing he was more of an impact player than jeff green has ever been jeff green is to me one of the great conundrums of basketball players he's he's yeah don't get me started on that one ton of minutes in the league for wondering what that impact is in those minutes is has been questionable so i'm gonna go with carl landry out of purdue here with, with 31st I'm in the draft and and had several really good good years. Yeah, I uh, I like that pick. He yeah, he was a really nice pick by he got I think he got traded to Houston on draft night. Yeah, traded to Houston on draft night. Had a couple good seasons there. His rookie uh, year with the Sacramento. Rockets, he was really good and it was a major factor in that 20 game winning streak they had. And this is a case of a a guy a little bit older when he's drafted that maybe doesn't have the longer career that you get when you draft a freshman or whatever, but was more of an instant impact guy in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Call, Carl man. Landry is off the board. I know you're disappointed. You get the bull selection at number nine. They, they can't get Noah. He's off the, off the board. Yeah. Who do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, another player who was in that year's final four. Uh, talent-laden Final Four, if I'd ever see it. It was in Atlanta that year, so I got to see it. So you had the three Florida guys, you had the two Ohio State guys, you had Jeff Green, and then you had Aaron Aflalo from UCLA, and he is my pick. Uh, Aaron Aflalo. Yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, spell check, as he was called. Uh, Aaron with two N's, Aflalo with two F's and one L. Um, Went 27th in the yeah, draft that year. Very good pick by the Pistons that year. Uh, ended up going to the Nuggets uh, in a in a kind of a mysterious trade because they they kind of threw him overboard to create cap room for Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva. Wasn't that the deal? 
Um, I believe that was the same off season. I, 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 I know they didn't trade him for much and there was a cap angle to it. And anyway, he became a, you know, a good starter for a few years there for the Nuggets. A uh, good shooter, pretty decent defender in his prime. Had an 11-year career. Just a, you know, the type of player that's tough to find, you know, a, a 3 and D shooting guard. And he gave you that during his prime years. Had a nice career at UCLA, too. Why does he slide to 27th in the draft? Yeah. I think there were some questions about just him, like, athletically. He was, you know, he's a pretty unremarkable athlete, right? And I, I think a little that bit was of a prob- tweener, maybe undersized for the position, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people always raved about his work ethic, though, uh, especially in Denver. I remember. Okay, that's the Bulls at number nine. They get Aaron Aflalo. I have the Kings at ten. Once again, <laughs> one theme of our podcast. The Kings didn't get it right. And what's crazy is they, I believe they had an opportunity at one point because Joe Keem's Noah's rookie year didn't go that well. They had an opportunity to trade Noah for Hawes, if I remember right. Well, if it's the Kings, you know that that's not what they did. (laughs) You know that it didn't happen, right? (laughs) That is not what they did. Yeah. Really tough to figure out where to go next with this uh, pick, in my opinion. This is where I'm going to select Jeff Green out of, out of Georgetown. Well, I'm glad part, you picked him because I wasn't going to. You're never going to take him. We can talk about that in a second. A prospect that I always think was more tantalizing as what he might potentially be able to do than what he ever actually really did yeah. uh, on the court for a number of teams bounced around uh, quite a bit. I, I liked him a lot out of Georgetown. I was, I, I thought he went about the right spot in the draft on draft night. But the more you dig into his career, the more that it just feels like there's a lot of, a lot of empty calories there uh, with Jeff green. You sound like you hate the guy. Uh, <laughs> what's going on. I, so the, I think you, you conceptualize it pretty well. Like the idea of him was always much better than the reality. Right. And, you know, we traded for it like he was he wasn't a bad guy or anything, but he just wasn't there wasn't any one particular thing that he was great at. If, if you when he really boiled it down, like he wasn't he wasn't really a creator, but he wasn't really a shooter. And like he was OK at posting up, but like that wasn't really his thing either. And he wasn't that good defensively. So like at the end of the day, like what are you? hanging your hat on the the one thing he did have going for him i will say is he never got hurt he was indestructible and so there is some value in just being able to fill rotation minutes you know 80 games times 30 minutes and know that a guy's going to be there and i mean he definitely did that but in terms of kind of adding value beyond uh beyond back end rotation guys like he 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 never quite got there like you say he had he had two pretty good years his second year at Oklahoma City yes and that's and and you thought he was going to turn the corner then and he just never did and they ended up trading him for Kendrick Perkins right right and then later uh for Boston yeah and even that Boston year was just kind of like it was a bad team and was just like okay take whatever shot you want right and he 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 does. He goes up to taking almost five threes a game in the 2013-2014 season 
uh, shooting 34%. And, and he, was, he was also the guy that was tantalizing because on a given night, Jeff Green could, could put up numbers and look great and then disappear the next night. Yeah. Uh, he stayed in the league a, lo- a long, long time. Yeah. But yeah. but lately the last couple of years, I think I think Utah, who I, I think actually really thought he might be able to help them off off the bench, became super disappointed. Yeah, uh, I mean they just did. up and cut him. I mean like they, they, they didn't need him. to. They just they just <laughs> got rid of him. Yeah. But there there he was, even at, at the age of thirty three, Utah who's trying to build a, a championship contender team, they were all in mm-hmm. this year, thought that Jeff Green might be the guy right. that could come in and yeah, and, and help them off the bench. Yeah, and I wish they would have called me first. That that was a that was a thirty game experiment before yeah. they they dumped that. Yeah. So uh, from a scouting perspective, um, scouts talk about motor, and I think that was one of the key things that held him back. Was just the the motor just never ran that hot. Yeah, just a little passive, and then on any given night, maybe that changes. Okay, we'll be back with picks 11 through 14 on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're back with John Hollinger redrafting the 2007 NBA Draft. The Kings were just on the board. I selected Jeff Green for them at 10. John vehemently disagreed. (laughs) <laughs> that, but the good news is that means that his pick at 11 gets to fall to him. You're That's on true. the clock. Atlanta Hawks are on the board. They took AC Law. I have a feeling that is not going to be your pick. No, no. AC Law, AC Law the fourth, not just AC Law. Um, the, uh, the pick here, I think yeah, there are two different ways you could go here. But I think uh, I think I'm going to go with kind of the longer, solid career as a combo forward. I'm going to go with Wilson Chandler here, mm. who was a rare, good pick by the Knicks here at 23. After his, he left after his freshman year at DePaul. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, never quite became an amazing player, but just a good combo forward for a number of years. Uh, gave you some positional flexibility was an okay shooter, you know, could guard fours, could rebound, could play in the perimeter some. Like, it just, you know, just gave you a good, solid rotation player at two positions uh, over the course of 12 years. So I I think he's the next best guy here. And a guy that, again, I think because he was playing in New York, there got there, there was some excitement about it. Isaiah Thomas pumping him up a little bit and just never really turned the corner. Yeah, yeah. The, the way that the way that we we thought or hoped he would well uh, that puts me back on the clock I'm struggling here yep we're uh the, the, we're getting into barrel scraping territory pretty quickly here so can I can I pick a guy that statistically pops a little bit but a guy that really again you know the the minutes are low. The games that he played in their low. You know where I'm going, right? Yeah, yeah. Brandon Wright. Man, we were so excited when we signed Brandon Wright because uh, we thought he'd give us a really high five, high level backup five who could rim run and you know block shots and do some of the things that uh, Mark uh, 
wasn't as able to do and that maybe they could play together. And I mean, we had him for three years and he was never healthy, I think, for more than two straight weeks the whole time. And you think that, that was, was the big issue for him was health? Yeah, exactly. It was a story of his career. And, uh, you know, lots of people in the league liked him. And when he played, he was really good. But he just only he couldn't stay on the court. Ten seasons, he played 428 games. So that's 42 games a year. And interestingly, his win shares per 48 minutes, number two in this entire draft behind Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah. I mean, like his, an- his analytics and stuff are really good. Career PER of 20. You know, shot 60.7% for his career. I mean, a lot of those were dunks, but he also had touch, like short-range touch with the left hand, long arms. Like, he offensively, he was a weapon. And I think that, uh, again, some of these players, even even when you think about, okay, they didn't play half the – they paid half the minutes of some of these other guys, their impact was so – powerful in those minutes that they may trump a guy that played twice as many games or twice as many minutes. Yeah. And so I'm going to go with Brandon right here uh, to the Sixers uh, at 12. All right. So it's back to me. Yeah. New Orleans, the Pelicans on the board. Uh, Chad, I'm not taking Julian Wright here. I don't know why. (laughs) I love Julian Wright. I, I fall in love irrationally with Kansas players. And, and this is a theme for me of falling in love with guys that I shouldn't fall in love with, but he seemed really toolsy. Like he can handle the ball. He could do a lot of different things. Like he was kind of a, a, a big point guard in a certain way. That's how he played in Kansas. Yeah. And then, but then the other way to look at it is he didn't do anything good, right? He could sort of do a lot of things, but there wasn't any really anything that he could hang his hat on in the NBA. And it's, and it's, and it's harder for like, he couldn't shoot was, was the underlying thing. And so that made everything else twice as hard. Exactly. And I think I finally learned my lesson on this with prospects, but I still do get tantalized by those guys that have so many tools, have to let go of the the fact that none of those tools are very good. Right, right. <laughs> okay, New Orleans, you're on the clock. I'm going to go with another short career guy here. I think he um, didn't play as many career minutes as he could have because he was always on awesome teams. But uh, Tiago Splitter who only played seven years in the NBA, partly because it took him a while to come over, even though he was one of the best players in Europe. I think it was three years after the Spurs drafted him before he came over. But, you know, played a role in championship teams, uh, was a good two-way center, really physical, tough, guys like playing with him. Uh, You know, the pace and space era was probably a little – tough for him but he could he could still play in this day and age just because he's so good around the basket um and i i think he's pretty clearly the choice here and this was a time when i was still driving the international bus at the time and i was very very up on tiago splitter i thought he went too low in the draft and and clearly here being drafted 13 he did he went 28 uh to the spurs his career was just really too short to make the impact that, you know, we'd all, we'd all hope for from him. But yeah. when he was on the court, you're right. He, he did make an impact uh, on both ends of the floor. All right. So I've got the last pick. It's the Clippers. Here are some guys that I have to choose from Marco Bellinelli, mm-hmm. Ramon Sessions, mm-hmm. Rodney Stuckey. Yeah. Detroit was very excited about him as a scorer. Corey Brewer is still yeah. on the board. Big baby. Lynn Davis, 
had a yeah. short career, but yeah. there was a few moments. Nick Young Sweet. took a lot of shots. <laughs> the guys left on the board maybe took the most shots. <laughs> Rudy Fernandez. Cer certainly took the most irrational shots. <laughs> yeah. Rudy Fernandez, who actually had a pretty good career when he uh, played, but only played in 249 games. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with Bellinelli. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough call there between him and Stucky for me. Yeah, that's interesting. And the difference for me between Bellinelli and Stuckey is Bellinelli's ability to stretch the floor and shoot the basketball. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's what tips it for me. And and just the longer career, 13 years in the league, in part because that's the one thing that Bellinelli could consistently do in the league. I remember watching him in Italy. And, I mean, he was a rock star. Mm -hmm. Bellinelli was in, in, in Italy uh, at the time. And... You know, Bargnani went number one, I think, the year before. But everybody in Italy loved Bellinelli. Yep. And it just didn't, you know, he had a solid, solid career. Might have been a superstar if he'd stayed in Europe his whole whole career. But in the NBA, he was a solid shooter off the bench. Yeah. I mean, good value for the 18th pick, right? Yeah, was, was really good enough good to later be traded for a first round pick that uh, little little remembered Sacramento Charlotte deal a few years ago. Let's talk about a few guys that didn't get selected that went high. We talked about Odin at the top of the show, and so I think we can move on. Yi, Leon Leon. Yeah. What happened to this guy? Uh, I just didn't have any feel for five on five. Like he he looked like a monster in workouts. Like you know you pointed out but like he no, he did legitimately look good and like you'll still see clips like in games in china even now where he does awesome stuff he's just like like the 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 feel of playing five on five though like every one-on-one -on -one move was just like he was like it was like he was scripted in his head but he wasn't feeling the game at all did he forever destroy the market for chinese players <laughs> afterwards because i mean there were look there was a moment <laughs> right, uh, you know, starting starting with Yao and Wang yeah. Zhiji, where yeah. there was a feeling in the NBA that China was going to be one of the pipelines, yeah, that was yeah. going to bring talent yeah. to, to the NBA, and then and Yi was that guy, and, and people were very very excited about him in China and the U.S. and it's yeah, man, been it just came since. to a screeching halt after that, huh? Really, really interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I did a lot with international work at the time, and th there was Africa and China were the two frontiers where there was just a very deep belief in the league that there was going to be dozens and dozens of players from China and, and directly from Africa that were going to be in the league, and, and neither has really panned out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two other players worth mentioning here. Uh, Rudy Fernandez only played four years in the league and then went back to Spain. And he was, you know, he was a decent player. He probably could have stayed in the league a lot longer if he wished. Um, and then another guy who was taken with the 58th pick, always thought he could play in the NBA if he had chosen to, stayed in Greece his whole career, Giorgios Printezis. Just a good, a good combo forward, tough, could shoot it enough. I, I was, I always was really intrigued to see what he would have done in the NBA. Well, there was a couple of other guys that we didn't select that went high. Corey Brewer. What happens with Corey Brewer? 
I just, you know, even in college, his nickname was the drunken dribbler, right? Because he would like get himself, get himself twisted around that, and fall down really a funny. lot when he tried to do stuff on the ball. Um, and he wasn't a good shooter. So, you know, he, he, he really needed to operate at a very high level in the other categories to offset his low skill level. Another guy, we, we, by the way, this is where we try to correct ourselves from last, last podcast. We forgot about Robert Covington. Yeah. In yeah. 2013. I think we would have drafted him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he went undrafted, slipped my mind, slipped John's mind. Bad to Robert Covington, our bad. Uh, you would have been in the lottery. Anthony Tolliver, probably the best undrafted player in this draft. Yeah, I would say I would say um, there's there were a couple guys who were undrafted in this draft who were, who were like, okay. And Anthony Toller is probably, you know, rough, roughly more or less <laughs> the best one. Certainly stuck around the longest. Mirza Toledovich may have had a higher peak. Uh, Gary Neal had a couple good years. Our shout outs to the undrafted people <laughs> after we blew this. Overall, given all the hype of the 2007 NBA draft, John, was this a good draft? It was okay. I mean, you had five all-stars from it, right? One, one generational player. It was, you know, it was probably all right. I think it wasn't a deep draft. And then six through ten, though, we're talking about at least one really legitimate starter on almost any team in the league, and and a number of key role players. Not a bad draft. If yeah. Odin had stayed healthy, then it, I think, it deserves the hype because Odin yeah. had the ability to be at the very least an all star if not a potential MVP. Yeah, absolutely. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. We've been redrafting the 2007 NBA Draft with John Hollinger. We'll be back next week redrafting the 2018 draft. The first draft I wasn't able to cover because I was in ESPN quarantine. I'm excited to be able to talk about how I saw some of those players while I wasn't doing scouting for ESPN. We'll see you next week.